Okay, if you turn to Exodus chapter 21, second book of the Bible, we're going to be in the Torah, the law of God this morning. Um, before we do a couple of things, just regarded to the, the giving, giving statements are available. They were available last week, and you want to grab those on the way out. Christy is back there, and she reminded me, there were some people who were just like, I don't need my giving statement, I know what it is, I'm fine, but this year, we did something a little bit extra with that, there's a surprise in there, so really challenge you, even if you don't feel like you want it, to stop and grab that on your way out. Um, there is going to be a baptism the last Sunday of February, the 26th, so if you have come into a relationship with God through Jesus and have not yet followed Him in that step of baptism, really encourage you to do that, to be praying and thinking about it, so let us know. And one more thing, Mel, who is up on stage a lot, does bass or percussion, he's from Ghana, he's been giving s some leadership to the international ministry since I stepped down, he just got re recently married to Amanda, and they reside in Topeka, but they're up here, they come on Friday, and they're up here Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then go home, and they're, they cannot afford a second apartment, they end up living in either uh, the hotel room for two nights on Friday night, Saturday night, or they drive to Topeka and come back and forth. And we're just wondering if there might be somebody in the body who has an extra space in your house, a, a place where a, a married couple could have Friday and Saturday night. So if that's you, um, please let me know. We would like to try to provide for them in that way. Okay, so Exodus 21. I'm also going to have this on the screen, but this morning, it is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so this morning, I want to talk about a theology of the humanity of the unborn. Um, if you've been here long enough, you know that one of my great skills is my ability to create really awesome titles to sermons, right, that are just very creative. Um, they're always really boring like that. But we are in Exodus 21 because I want to talk about that. Scripture does speak to this issue. And to me, this is one of the key te texts in the Bible that speak to it. And so we are going to look at that. I, before we jump in, I need to say one thing that... That at 12th Avenue, we who follow Jesus, the Bible is the authority of our life. It's the authority of all that we believe and all that we do, all that we practice. Um, Jesus based his life on the authority of the Old Testament. We as followers of him base our life and our authority on the scripture as a whole. And in my views of things and how I think about things, I let the scripture inform me and change how I view. I don't bring my views into the scripture and try to change the meaning of scripture based upon what I like or what my culture is telling me is appropriate, that this is what I stand on. That's how we are at 12th, and I want to challenge all of you. That's how we need to live our life. And so this morning, we're going to look at a text, and very interesting what, has, what some people have done with it, and... We just want to ask the question, what does God say about the unborn? So if you would, I'm going to have the text up on the screen. If you would stand, I would like you to read this with me. It is in the NIV. And if you would read along, I would appreciate it. So reading out of the NIV, if men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And this is the word of the Lord. So you may be seated. Um, here's the scenario in this part of the Torah, of the law. Two men are fighting with each other. There's a pregnant woman, preg a pregnant woman who's present. Somehow she gets struck in the fight. 
um, ends up giving birth prematurely to a child. And the Torah says that if there is no serious injury, again, not specifying to whom, whether it's the unborn child, the mother, or both, if there's no serious injury, that person is going to sit down with the husband. He's going to talk about what he thinks a fine, and then in consultation with a judge with the court system, they'll determine a fine for him to pay. But if there is serious injury, either to the unborn child or to the mother or to both, then uh, you see the, the, the punishment that's to be applied at the end of that text. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But I'm in this text because there are a small number of English translations that actually translate this differently than the NIV does. And here's some examples, the New Revised Standard Version, the TEV, the Contemporary English Version, the old 1919 NASB. I was talking to somebody who has an NASB in first service that I think was probably the pre-1995. They've actually changed their translation to fit the NIV, just to throw that out. Um, New American Standard was my first Bible after I became a believer. But I want to show you how the CEV translate this, the Contemporary English Version, and you'll see the difference, okay? So here's how the CEV translates it. Suppose a pregnant woman suffers a miscarriage as the result of an injury caused by someone who's fighting. If she isn't badly hurt, the one who injured her must pay whatever fine her husband demands and the judge, judges approve. But if she is seriously injured, the payment will be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, cut for cut, and bruise for bruise. Now, the difference between those two is actually quite significant. It's significant um, in a couple of ways because mainly the CEV says it's not a premature birth, it's a miscarriage. And the injury, the concern for God is only the injury to the woman. That's what he's caring about, right? So that in other words, God sees a difference between the woman and that unborn child. And the way he values and the status of them are different if if we were to choose the CEV as a translation, if it's correct. But if the NIV is correct... If the NIV is correct, it's talking about a premature birth, and the injury could be to either of them, and that God is seeing them equally, the unborn child and the mother, the same, and their status and value is the same to them, that there is no difference to him. And we're going to delve into this a little bit more. Um, The majority of English translations side with the NIV, translate it the way it does. It's it's not very many that, that do it the other way. And so, to me, the question is, is which translation is most accurate? Of, the t- of those two ways of translating it, which, is most, which most fits the original intent of the author, and specifically, if, we were to, if, if you knew Hebrew and we were to open this in Hebrew, what does the Hebrew text say? And which translation best reflects the Hebrew text as Moses would have written it? And so in looking at this text, there are two really important questions we have to answer, and here they are. Number one, does this text refer to a miscarriage or a live premature birth? That's a really huge question. And the second one is, does this text refer only to an injury sustained by the woman, or does it refer to an injury sustained by the woman or the unborn child, or to both? Because that's a really big difference. So the first question is this, does verse 22 refer to a miscarriage or to a live birth? Which is it? Because the NIV reads, if men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, so it's saying gives birth prematurely. I want to focus on that phrase. In Hebrew, it is literally... Um, yatsu yeladeha, which is the child goes out. It's t- that yatsu is from the root word yatsa, the Hebrew word verb, which just means to go out. That's all it means. Um, but it's used 1,061 times in the Hebrew Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, 
And it is never once used of miscarriage. Never once used of miscarriage. It is always used of a live birth. Always. No exceptions to that. I could give a lot of examples. Uh, I'm going to give you just one. In the book of Genesis chapter 25, 25. It says, speaking of Esau, the first to come out, Yatzah, the firstborn, was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Verse 26 uses Yatzah again. It's not up there. But after this, his brother came out. Yatzah was born and his, with his hand grasping Esau's heel so that he was named Jacob. I think it's really important that there is a Hebrew word for miscarriage. There is a Hebrew word. Um, we find miscarriage or miscarry two times in the NIV, reflecting its occurrences in the Hebrew Old Testament. The first is in Genesis 31, 38, where it says, Jacob said, I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, shakal, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. The other occurrence is in Exodus 23, 26, where it says, none will miscarry, shakal, or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I think it's really significant that one of the occurrences of the word miscarriage, shakal, occurs two chapters after chapter 21. Moses clearly knows the word. He knows how to use it. He knows what it means. And if he meant miscarriage, he would have used shakal in chapter 21, but he didn't. He used the word yatsah for a live birth, okay? So I think that's really significant. In this text, the Hebrew word for child is just the normal word yeled. Well, we need to at least say one word. Can you say yeled with me? Yeled, good job. Um, it's the normal word used for a baby or child. Um, it is used every time of a, of a child after birth. It's, I mean, just a normal living child. It's used only one time of a child in, womb, in the womb in Genesis 25, 22. But I want you to know it is never used of a miscarried child. Never is it used of a miscarried child. If Moses wanted to speak of a miscarried child or a stillborn child, he had Hebrew words at his disposal. He had the Hebrew word golem, um, which was the word for a miscarried fetus, and it's not golem like in the Lord of the Rings, okay? It's a different golem. Um, and he had the Hebrew word nephel that was used for a stillborn child. So if he wanted to speak to those, he had those words to use, but he doesn't use either of those words. If Moses wanted to speak of miscarriage, he would have written either shakal golem or shakal nephel, but he didn't do that. So it's really clear in the Hebrew text that Moses is referring to a live birth of a child, that he's not referring to a miscarriage at all, but it is a premature birth. And so I want to go now to the topic of injury, to the second question, which is this. Does the text refer only to an injury sustained by the woman or an injury sustained by either the woman or the child or perhaps both mother and child? Again, it's a really important question. Um, if you don't mind, the NIV again reads, if men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, so it's not specifying either mother or child or either, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, again, not specifying which of the two or both, you're to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, Wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That's almost like a, um, what do you call it, a tongue twister? Uh, trust me, I've tried reading that out loud several times, and it's easy to get words confused. Okay, the CEV, if I can again pull it up, reads, 
Suppose a pregnant woman suffers a miscarriage as if the result of an injury caused by someone who is fighting, if she isn't badly hurt. So if the woman, the one who injured her, must pay whatever fine her husband demands and the judges approve. But if she is seriously injured, and then it talks about the payment, life for life, and it goes on and on, right? So a big difference in the two. And again, what does the Hebrew text say? That's what we want to know. When Moses wrote this, what was he saying? And in verse 22, it literally leads simply like this in Hebrew, yet no harm follows. And in verse 23, it literally leads in Hebrew, harm follows. That's all it says. In the Hebrew, there are words for he, she, her. Those words do not occur in there. He or she, her do not occur in the Hebrew text. So when translations like the CEV put that in there, they're reading something into the text and putting something in there that is not in it when Moses wrote it. The Hebrew does not indicate if the injuries in question are to the mother or the unborn child or to either one of them. So it's very clear that it could be either of them or it could be both of them, and that's very significant. And here's why that's significant. And if you, if you got the note sheet, you're going to see this now at the summary of the two questions. So if some of you are kind of note-taking people, here's what we can summarize from those two questions. That, number one, the Hebrew text clearly refers to the live premature birth of a child and not to a miscarriage. And that the Hebrew text is equally clear that the injury spoken of could refer either to the woman or the baby or to even both. That's what, that's what Moses wrote and that was his intent. And if that's the case and that the NIV is the one that matches clearly what he wrote, then this text places an equal value on both woman and unborn child in calling for a punishment if either of them are injured. Does that make sense? Equal value on either of them if they're injured. So injury or death to either the born or the unborn was a sin requiring some sort of punishment. It did not matter if it was the woman who had been living for many years or this baby that's prematurely born, this unborn child. If that child was injured in this while still in the mother's womb before the premature birth, that to God, it's a sin and there's punishment for either of those. That's why the great human, German, <laughs> human, German Hebrew scholars, it's what, when you have German and Hebrew, German, Kyle and Dalich, it doesn't matter so much, but they lived in the 1800s, writing before abortion was even an issue in the Western world, translated it this way. If men strove and thrust against a woman with child, who had come near or between them for the purpose of making peace so that her children come out, come into the world, and no injury was done either to the woman or the child that was born, a pecuniary compensation, that's their words, not mine, was to be paid, such as the husband of the, of the woman laid upon him, and he was to give it by arbitrators. But if injury occur to the mother or the child, thou shalt give soul for soul, eye for eye, and they continue. Um, Umberto Casuto, who's one of the great modern Hebrew scholars, translates it this way, but if any mischief happen, that is, if the woman dies or the children die, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye. And H. Wayne House, who's done a lot of research and written an article relatively recently about this text, says that if men struggle with each other, and strike a woman with child so that she has a premature birth. Yet there's no significant bodily injury to the mother or child. He shall surely be fine. But if there is a significant bodily injury to mother or child, then you shall appoint as a penalty. And according to that which applies life for life, eye for eye. And he goes on. 
I could say a whole lot more in support of the NIV and the way they've translated this because they've done it very accurately. But again, in your notes, if I were to just summarize my thoughts on this, here's what I would say. That in God's eyes, regarding the injuries suffered, there is no distinction made between mother or the unborn. That he sees the mother and the unborn child exactly the same. That's what's very clear in this text. And in a minute, I want to take those ideas and I want to go into the implications of those. But before I do, I want to talk for a minute about this punishment because it's really kind of sounds weird to modern people. And it's what we see in verses 23 and 25. So again, the NIV, if you don't mind. If there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. You know, this eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that's come into our language. We use that. We talk about that idea, right? That's something that we all really know well. Um, there's a, a word for it in Latin. They call it um, the lax talionis, which means the law of retribution. You didn't see Clint's coming up, did you? Um, forget that. Just wipe that. Um, the law of retribution. And I want you to know this eye for eye, tooth for tooth is greatly misunderstood in our culture by many people, especially... Um, some younger generations where there's just a lot more kind of anti-Bible stuff out there that, that talks about reason scripture is just absurd. And what they say is, is that this punishment is barbaric. It is barbaric. What kind of God would do that? Um, that it's worst, it's calling for vengeance and personal vendettas and retaliation. And at its best, it's calling for a tit-for-tat kind of punishment. Like, you know, you take my eye out, then I'm going to take your eye out. And they're like, this is barbaric. But I want you to know this is not the meaning of the text, that far from being barbaric, it actually does the opposite. It keeps barbaric things from happening. So let me explain. Um, in the culture they lived in, the ancient Near East, about this time in 1500 BC, all those cultures around them, personal vendettas were very common. People took justice into their own hands. If somebody killed your brother, you'd go kill him and maybe a few other people. That's the way it was. Um, it was the justice kind of like in the Old West that you took the law into your own hands. That was the culture that they were living in at that time. And that I want you to know that this text actually is trying to curb that. And I'm going to explain why. It's trying to curb that. And I think the most important thing I probably need to say is that chapter 21, it is occurring in the context of, of, of this is given to people, judges and people in the court system, that this is how they are to make their rulings. It's not given to individuals. It's in the context um, of, of the judicial system. It's not about personal justice. That's not what Moses is talking about. Besides here, eye for eye, tooth for tooth occurs two other times in the Torah. It occurs in the book of Leviticus chapter 24 and the book of Deuteronomy 19. And in both times, the context of it is this is how people in the judicial positions, how judges are to rule and arbitrate on issues. It's not about personal um, vendettas. So if you've got the notes... Here's the purpose of eye for eye in the Torah, that it was, uh, I want to make sure that fits, yes, that it was a rule for the court system. It was a rule for the court system, the kind of, I've got three things, three on here, but it did two things, two big things. Number one, it prevented personal revenge and retaliation by making a public judicial restoration, restitution. It took the law out of an individual's hands and it put it into the hands of a judge, okay? So it prevented personal revenge. 
And the, the other big category, it's not on your notes, but two and three fit under this, is it was saying that whatever the punishment is, it must fit the crime. It must fit the crime. So number two on there, for the injured party, it ensured that the compensation for that loss or injury would be a proper, full, and a just one. So the person that was injured, it was making sure that it was just to them. But it was also for the guilty party to ensure that the punishment stayed within reasonable limits, that the restitution matched the losses equitably, no more, no less. That's how it functioned. This eye for eye, tooth for tooth was never intended by God to mean a tit for tat punishment. There's the third one. Sorry about that. It was never meant to be a tit for tat punishment. There was leeway in its application. And here's how we know because of the context. So I'm going to put it on the screen, but if you want to look it down, look at verses 26 and 27. 26 and 27 says, if a man hits a manservant or maidservant in the eye and destroys it, he must let the servant go free to compensate for the eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of a manservant or maidservant, he must not let the servant go free to come. He must let the servant go free to compensate for the tooth. So you see, it's not a literal tit for, tit for tat thing. It's not like, oh, you knocked their tooth out, so we're going to knock your tooth out. That was never how it was applied. Look at verses 28 to 30. Again, I'll have this on the screen, but it's in your Bible. If a bull gores a man or a woman to death, the bull must be stoned to death. But the owner of the bull, I'm skipping a few words, but the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring and the owner's been warned but has not kept it pinned up and it kills a man or woman, the bull must be stoned and the owner also must be put to death. However, if payment is demanded of him, he may redeem his life by paying whatever is demanded. So you see, it's not a tit-for-tat kind of thing. That's not how it was applied. So in the Torah, in the, the book of the law that God gave Moses, other than capital crimes... And taking life was a capital crime, so life was required for life. But other than the capital crimes, most other crimes you read about, most of the, the way that there was restitution made was monetarily or with goods. That's usually how that happened. That's what was common. And we know this to be historically true, that in Israel, throughout their history, they never applied this in a tit-for-tat kind of manner. There is no recorded incidence of somebody having injured somebody that then they were maimed in the same way. There's no instance of that. That is in contrast to some places in the world to this very day that have taken eye for eye, tooth for tooth, have incorporated it into their religious text, and to this very day use that in a tit-for-tat way. There are kingdoms in the Middle East that if you steal, they will cut your hand off because of your thievery. That if you do what's called like a robbery, where you maybe go into a bank, you steal something, you're stealing it and you're running, they'll cut off your hand and they'll cut off the opposite foot so you can never do that again. That if in a fight with somebody, you take out somebody's eye, that they will surgically remove your eye. Um, that if you knock out a tooth, they will take you into a dentist and he'll remove your tooth. Because they're taking this literally, not the way God intended, not the way it was intended in the, the law. There's even a case, an example, a few years ago, two young teenage boys got in a fight. I think they were 10. And in the fight, one fell and ended up breaking his back and became paralyzed. And the young man, when he got to be the age of an adult, they surgically paralyzed him tit for tat for what he had done, okay? This is not how God intended it. It is not how it is applied at all, okay? God has no interest in any of that. That was never his intent. So far from being barbaric, it was actually curbing the barbarism of their time. Do you see that? I think that's really significant to know. Okay, back to this text. 
If I were to translate this passage, um, here's how I would do it. If two men struggle with each other and one strikes a woman who is pregnant, causing her to give birth prematurely, yet there's no significant bodily injury to either the mother or child, he should simply be fined. The husband, in consultation with a judge, can decide the amount. But if there is a significant bodily injury to either the mother or the child, or both, then the restitution must be more severe and all the while remaining just and equitable to the injuries sustained. So that's how, that's what, that's what Moses is saying here. So I want to I wrap this up and put a bow on it, if you don't mind. And just remember, when we read Scripture, we are reading it. When I'm reading the Torah, I'm reading it through 1500 B.C. eyes. I'm reading it in the context of their culture, but I'm asking 21st century questions. And I need to tell you something about this text that I think is important, that this text per se is not addressing abortion, okay? This is not addressing abortion outright, because in that time, in that part of the world, abortion was unheard of. In the ancient Near East, they wanted as many children as they could possibly have, especially sons, not just to work, but to carry on the family name. So this was unheard of in their culture for somebody to intentionally um, take the life of, of their own child, especially for Jewish people, because Jewish women were longing for Messiah to come, and the hope was, is for every Jewish woman, is maybe I'm going to be the mother of Messiah. So they had no interest. This was not something that was even in their mind, okay? So it wasn't talking per se about abortion. But this text to me clearly speaks to a theology of the humanity of the unborn, clearly. And so I've taken some things out of this. And this is, if you're, if you're doing the notes and want to follow along, here's the things that I take out of this, the implications of it, okay? That in God's eyes, the unborn have full human status. To God, the unborn are no less human than the born and living, okay? Both are equally fully human. That to him, the unborn has the same value and status as the born. Same value and same status. And as this passage, it protects legally the rights of both the born and the unborn that we are to do the same thing, right? Because that's what God is doing in this text. Because the injury or death to either the born or the unborn, to either of them, it was a sin and it required... It required restitution, punishment, restitution. And so God is saying that I've got the same value on them and that legally they stand the same before the law and their rights are to be protected, okay? They didn't have the concept of rights we do, but it's still standing legally on the side of born and unborn. And because of this text, and there are many others, but that's why I and we at 12 believe that the un unborn life, it must be respected and it must be protected. We're committed to that. That we are called by God to value both, because in this text, He values both, the mother and the unborn child. That's why we believe in the sanctity of all of human life, and all of human life, and that we value all life at 12, from womb to tomb. All life, it doesn't matter where on that whole continuum, that we value all human life equally, equally, because God cares about all. And I want you to know, I'm serious about that. Now, and here's how I'm serious. I'm serious not only about how God views the unborn, I'm serious about how He views every human being womb to tomb. And we need to value everybody, okay? Everybody. So when I went to seminary, 
in Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, when we were there, that's where Jerry Falwell's church, um, Thomas Road Baptist Church was. And at that time, Thomas Road Baptist Church, he was one of the main people nationally speaking out against abortion, speaking the value of human life. And I got there. I didn't know him. I didn't know his church very well. Pat and I did not attend there. We went one time. But once we got there, I learned of something that was really profound that he was doing that I didn't know, that he had his Liberty Godparent home that he had started, um, I think, in the late 70s, one of the first homes ever created for women who found themselves with an unexpected pregnancy and felt like they had nothing else to do. And this wasn't just for, that, for Lynchburg or for that region. There were so few of those that it was national, and they would promote it nationally on his television program, and they had women from all over the country, hundreds of women who were there. And as I was around that environment, got to know him, I was so impressed. I'm like, he not only speaks to the unborn and values them, but he has put his money where his mouth is, so to speak, and he values and cares about the, the young women. He cares about everybody from womb to tomb, and that has stuck with me, and that's been important to me. Um, that's why I respect so much the ministry of Shiloh, Home of Hope, and all that they do, because they're, they're doing the same thing. Okay, I want to... Just wrap up, if um, I know that in this audience there are people who have been impacted by abortion, um, it's inevitable. There are people here this morning who somehow it got brought into your life and maybe you were not wanting an abortion to happen, but it affected you somehow. You know, a grandchild or a niece or nephew, I, it, it could be a number of people and there's been grief for that and been struggling with grief maybe for a long time of, of perhaps a lost a uh, family member or something, okay? So there are people that, that are here that are struggling with that. There's also been people here who have been part of an abortion and who are carrying that, carrying the pain and the grief and the wounds from that kind of thing. And, and I want to tell you, it's not just the young women, okay? It's not just the young women. Um, we're going to share a resource in a minute. I really encourage you a YouTube video to watch of a woman who works with women in a home that works with young women, the va I want you to know the vast majority of young women, the vast majority, don't want to do that, but there's intense pressure placed upon them by boyfriends, by husbands, by parents, by friends, and by the culture to do that. I don't think people understand how much pressure is applied on a lot of young women, and so have made a choice and then later regret that and feel, feel grief about that. Um, and I know we've just got some people like that here. So here's what I want to say to all of us, wherever we are with this issue, I just want to throw out an image. It's from the Passion of the Christ. Um, how many of you have seen the Passion of the Christ? It's, it's excellent. This is an image of the story of John 8, the woman who's, who's caught in adultery, and the Pharisees bring her to Jesus and say, we need to stone her, we need to kill her. And if you remember, Jesus says to them, whoever among you has not sinned, you can throw the first stone. And it says that old to young, they drop the stones and they walk away. And Jesus says, who's condemned you? She says, nobody. He says, neither do I condemn you, right? Okay. This morning, I am not using this text as a stone to cast at anybody. That's not my point. My point is to say that God values the unborn, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. This is not a stone. We don't take scripture. We don't weaponize it against anybody. We don't weaponize it against anybody. This is not the way of Jesus. Um, and so if you're here this morning and you're struggling, I just want you to know that that's not the point of this, 
is to like throw a stone in your direction. I, I want to offer a couple of words. If you're struggling in any way, you've been involved and you've, you're dealing with the pain and the grief of all of that. Two words that come from the life of Jesus. Number one is the word resurrection. That scripture promises, I can show you later, scripture promises that any child who dies goes immediately to be in the presence of God. And one day when Jesus comes in his new creation, he will resurrect that child, soul and body back together again. And if you know Jesus, you will get to know who that child is, okay? So resurrection, you, you got to hang on to that. I hang on to that for so much stuff. And the other word I want to give you is redemption, because in Jesus, nothing is irredeemable. He can take anything. We saw that in the story of Ruth and Naomi a few weeks ago. He can take anything and redeem it, and that's what he wants to do. So there's nothing that's irredeemable. So if you're here this morning and you're kind of struggling with some things related to that, I want to, Lisa and I talked quite a lot this week. If, if there's a lady here, some, some woman, if you want to go talk to her, she can talk to you, put you in contact with somebody. If there's a guy here who's struggling, who is part of that pressure to do that and has never talked to anybody, come talk to me. I would love to talk to you because we serve a Savior who is loving and compassionate, who spoke truth, but he did it in grace, and he always led with grace, and that's how we want to be with this issue, right? That's how we want to be with this issue. So um, I just want to, some, Lisa, help me put together some resources. If you go to our website on the resource and then click on Sanctity of Life Sunday, there's a video series up here by Brittany Smith that is excellent. Pat and I visited Russinetta Box Church two summers ago, and this woman spoke that night. She worked in, a, in a, a ministry that did rescue of women with unwanted pregnancy. And what she shares, especially that first video, is powerful. I think if we want to come at this with compassion and understanding, I encourage you to watch that. If, you're, um, if you've been connected to abortion anyway and there's a lot of pain and grief with that, there's a couple of books, You're Not Alone, um, Healing Through God's Grace After Abortion. There's a Bible study, Forgiven and Set Free. Um, Connie Meyer, who attended here for quite a while before um, she passed away from her cancer, she had been through an abortion as a young woman. Um, her husband pressured her, if I remember right. She'd come to Christ after that, had gone through her own healing with the Lord. And frequently, if we had women or people in the, the body, women especially who wanted to talk to somebody, we would send them to Connie. And she would have coffee. She would lead them to a Bible study. But God, we don't have Connie here anymore. And what I'm wondering is, is maybe there is somebody here at 12 who has been through that, who's found healing in Jesus and that maybe, maybe you'd be the next Connie Meyer. And if that's the case, grab Lisa and say, I think I could walk through some women with that because God walked me through that or somebody walked me through that. Um, Connie met with various numbers of individuals and helped. I know several international students we knew who had had abortions while they were here that we sent her. Um, they went and met with Connie. So, but whatever we do, 12th, um, let us stand for life, Okay. Let us stand for life, but let us do it with understanding and compassion, and that we don't take Scripture and make it, we weaponize it against people, okay? That's not the way of Jesus, all right? And so if you're that, Brittany Smith, who made that YouTube video, she wrote this book that's uh, an excellent resource on how we see some of what's going on with decisions that, that a lot of young women make that will help you to understand a lot better. So are we good with all that? We can stand for truth, but lead with grace always. We're all sinners, right? The foot of the cross, it's level. Mine's different than yours, so, you know, compassion with everybody. 
but we don't hold back from truth. Would you stand with me? Father, thank you for your scripture. Thank you that you value, even we might feel insignificant, like the unborn, you value them and how important they are. And so, Lord, help us to be people to hold to that. Father, we live in a culture that doesn't believe this much anymore and and places where laws don't work this way and our hearts are broken. We just pray that you would intervene in our land and... um, there's just we have so much pain and grief over that and lord we know there's probably people here this morning who've been impacted by abortion i pray that they would receive your grace and mercy that if they need to talk to somebody that you would give them the strength to do that that they could find healing in you Uh, again lord jesus thank you that you are you came in grace and truth but you always led with grace Um, may we be people like that so we pray in your name jesus amen all right 12 so you are sent out as people of truth and grace but always leading with grace everywhere you go, okay?